Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Rusty Quill presents. Hey everyone, Alex Italander here, and welcome to our bonus content as we work on putting Ostium Season 6 together. We're continuing with our Behind the Ostium series as we go in depth with the making and discussion of how each episode of Ostium came to be, as well as much more. I am joined by Dwayne Farver, a big fan of the show and creator of the spin off podcast Manifestations. If you enjoy the Behind the Ostium series, you can get full access to over 50 episodes right now by supporting Team Ostium on Patreon at patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. You'll also get access to a bunch of other bonus content on there too. Once again, that's patreon.com slash ostiumpodcast. We'll continue working on getting Ostium Season 6 ready for release in 2022, but for now, sit back and enjoy another episode of Behind the Ostium. I'll do the other long idea I have here, and we'll do this with the um, from the bottom up. So world build it a little first, you know? Sure. That sound good? Sounds good. All right. So here's our second one with world building from the bottom up. It's there. It's the second prompt I got. If it went. Okay. You read this one. A young girl is caught in a nuclear explosion, but is miraculously rescued afterwards. With new surgical advancements, she is fully restored using artificial organs, skin, muscles, etc. However, when she returns to school, she is discriminated against for being artificial, with some people calling her a robot. Well, obviously she's a teenager, I guess, right? It's got to be high school. Uh... Yeah, if we want to go with the angst angle, I would say... Definitely high school. It, it's interesting the way, I mean, it could be just because it's how the algorithm works, but I think it's interesting that it uses all the advancements she has in her, um, artificial, all the different parts and stuff, but which sounds very futuristic, since we obviously can't do that all right now, and yet she's people still call her a robot, which seems kind of dated. But then again, being high school, you know, kids suck and they're just going to be... be you know, as mean as they can, and using old school terms. That's true. That that could just be the uh, the new term that's in fad is calling someone uh, that has a uh, enhancements something a very robot. old. Yeah, retrobot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but since we're doing this from the bottom up, uh, we'd want to set the world a little bit. So she's caught in a nuclear explosion. Is that on the same planet? Are we going to, do we want to stick kind of a like near-ish future or do we want to jump a little further into the future? Uh, I would say if it's a nuclear explosion, it probably was going to be further in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking, is it going to be a like a nuclear bomb, like a weapon that did it, or was it in a like a research lab or um, like a power production facility? My mind also just went to uh, could it be something in space too, in some way, where she was on a ship or something that collided or you know was attacked or something that set up next nuclear explosion in space and then when she's all restored and everything and brought back to earth if she's from earth we could also do the moon again <laughs> um you know that's when she's all artificial because this is the sort of stuff before you'd start um actually writing the story you'd want to kind of world build it a lot you know i'm thinking Such a moon goals. I'm thinking this one needs to be on a moon of Jupiter. Okay. Or at least on a space station orbiting Jupiter. How about that? Because I don't don't think we have... I don't have enough information on Jupiter's moons right now to know which one would have um, solid places to live. It's really cold. And, I mean, it's mainly ice. And then thousands of miles beneath the ice is water. And that's pretty much it. Yeah, I just uh, I just saw this week that Europa has as much water on it as the Earth has on it. Yep, mm-hmm. that little uh, graphic. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to remember the other moon that um, it was on uh, the Expanse TV series and book series, but I can't remember right now. So should we just say Europa? Let's say Europa then. Yeah, I'd say there's Europa, Io, Ganymede. I can't remember the fourth big one. But um, we can make it Europa. Maybe they're Europa, terraform. I mean, and I mean, if they manage to Europa, they'd be able to. I mean, I'm not so much even terraform. Maybe again, it's like a you know settling Mars. It's a dome situation. Okay. And they won't have any problem getting water, obviously, because they can use that ice. Um. Now, is this where the um? Did I start the clock? No. Okay. Let me start the clock. <laughs> Is this where the just the explosion happens, or is this where she lives and the whole world, you know story is kind of set? Do you think? I would I would think that it would be set on an orbiting station, but maybe her father or mother works there on Europa, and she was there visiting. Um, during you know maybe 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 they're doing research on the the depths of the, the oceans under the ice on Europa. Um, Maybe it's been a, a... It could be a, you know, Earth is kind of screwed. We're trying to get as many people as we can off Earth. Um, Mars hasn't been that use, that great. The moon doesn't have much, but Europa has a lot of resources they're able to use um, with the water. And then maybe at this point they've been able to drill down enough to get to the to below the ice, to the water underneath and found pretty much everything they need. But it's just going to take, say, 50 years or a century to actually get all those nutrients and raw materials up and using. Um, so they have these either one like mega space station type thing that's been um, 
developed over time sent with you know kind of parts of it coming from earth with people on it and kind of joined to make this one big station or they have multiple stations kind of orbiting europa and then over time they have you know labs and research groups going down to the planet and working to to make it habitable and live there i like that idea it's kind of like a a water mine mm-hmm. I, I didn't and want the to call goal it. is to eventually settle on the planet when they can um which is still some years away but for now that this is how they're, they're living on these stations um kind of like uh, kind of like the earth collective you know when they were traveling these giant ships um but the point is that they can't go back to earth anymore because that's just ruined we destroyed that too well you know um so then she has like you said her mom or yeah maybe her mom she's a researcher working down there so she goes to visit her maybe she's um she wants to be a scientist as well i'm guessing it's probably a popular popular job to have um in this kind of setting because you know research is is the biggest thing they're they're probably look scientists will look highly upon because they're the future for discovering what's going to help them you know be able to survive and it's a it could it could be that there's a built-in caste system where you don't take on an apprentice you pass on your role your position to mm-hmm. your children to keep it alive and well yeah so you know so so no information gets lost obviously they have stuff backed up you know electronically i would assume and stuff like that but um it's also a um yeah system passed down generation to generation because they know it's going to take a long time but they also want to make sure um nothing gets lost because it's their only chance i guess we should also set um a population number for i think because when you have uh obviously when there's less of a population it raises the stakes a lot more you know I, yeah, I would say it's about 10% over whatever their maximum capacity is. <laughs> <laughs> or did you want a real number? Well, we'll go a real number, but that works too for that <laughs> part, because that's, again, you want to up the conflict and, and make it, yeah, it's not fun. Um, I would imagine resources are, are scarce. Right. Um, Which is also why, um, with her becoming, when she eventually has her accident, and her becoming artificial, Perhaps she doesn't need, because it says all, order, yeah, all organs, skin, muscles, etc. So it sounds like pretty much everything. So she pretty much is a walking, you know, artificial thing, not human anymore, essentially. Uh, that she doesn't need nutrients. She doesn't need to eat and stuff. Um, which, in a place where, you know, everything's in high demand, that makes it easier for her. And also there's the fact that... Um, because there are a limited population, because things are so tough, you know, death is pretty much imminent every day. Um, but for her being artificial, she's now going to live forever. I yeah, I, I like the idea that she's at least ninety percent mechanical in some fashion. I, I didn't want to go with just okay, they put her brain physically in a yeah. a yeah. shell, but but something along those lines. Um, cause that, that, you know, you just need to recharge and I'm hoping that, you know, if we're and there's also talking, a sense that, sorry, but there's a sense uh, too, that when something gets injured again, it's for her, it's just a case of replacing it and not such a big deal. I think it's easier to generate electricity than it is to grow food for them, for them. 
I also feel the the conflict needs to be too that um, it was a special thing that uh, we'll talk about how the explosion happened. We haven't got to there yet, really, but um, for her to get this, you know, gift of being able to get all these artificial parts and things, um, it's not something anyone can get, obviously, because resources are so limited. So I feel like then it needs to make mean her um, her other parent has to be someone important and high-ranking for her to have gotten something so special. Maybe it goes back to the, like, they're in a certain class in the society where her her mother is a scientist, her father may be a politician, and they just have more rights than uh, another person would. They have access to to certain things. You know, maybe because they start, you know, working with them as soon as they're born to pass on this knowledge and information and, and ability. That at this point, because she's such an important person, important role to fill, um, they can't afford to lose her, you know? Maybe also the, the, the mother is older or has an illness or something too, maybe, and she's one of the last of her kind or something like that, that they need to keep her alive no matter what, you know, the, the daughter, because that she was, knows so much. Yeah, that was my thought too. The, something has happened maybe because of the mother's research. She's sterile now. And well, actually, she's, I guess since, or because of the explosion, the mother was killed all, already. That's a good point. Um, so let's talk about the explosion then. That would be something they were doing down on the on Europa, presumably. For it to be a nuclear explosion, you would have to think it's something that's generating power, possibly, or mm-hmm. if it is a, a weapon. Or they're using nuclear power to try and, you know, get through the ice to the water below. It definitely generates heat. Um, I was thinking that or um, an opposing faction Mm -hmm. um, uh, sets off a bomb, uh, whether it's a missile or a a placed Mm -hmm. weapon. And presumably that would be someone from a different uh, caste or level of society that's not happy with, with the scientists. Maybe it's, yeah, the scientists, you know, because they're looked up so highly and everything. So this other group, which could be um, the maintenance, yeah, how about the maintenance cast that are not looked on as highly as the scientists, but in many ways they're just as important because they're keeping the ships and stations alive. Yeah, I was Um, thinking a working cast. mm -hmm. And um, so they're, you know, angry about that. So it's a sabotage of the scientists down below to show they really don't know what they're doing and they can't be completely trusted all the time. I like that. Mm-hmm. So it's setting up lots of conflict, which is what you want to do before you start I, I could, the story. I could see that on a TV show. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying not to do too much from The Expanse, but I mean that's what's cool, very cool about The Expanse is you have all these levels of society where you have people from Earth, you have the Martian people, and then you have what they call the Belters, which are the people who are essentially the working class living out on the asteroid belt, you know, with hard, tough, crappy jobs that are looked down upon by everyone else. Uh, I I hope I didn't subconsciously just pull from that then. (laughs) I don't think so. I mean, I (laughs) I, I think it's a important subject in good science fiction you know 
Um, and it's, you know, a part of everyone's everyday life, except for the super rich who never seem to care. I agree. I, I think uh, I do enjoy a good sci-fi story where they deal with how society is organized and the haves and the have-nots. And especially here where, um, because it's the, you know, they had to leave Earth, um, because they're a limited population, because they don't know when they're going to get this project finished and be able to settle on Europa, uh, because they're working on limited resources, everything is kind of, you know, dialed up and pressure situation. Uh, we need to decide on a population number. So it needs to be not too small that the, the, race, the human race is just going to die out. But... Um, uh, hundred, like how, hundred, um, hundreds of thousands, or I don't just... know. If I'm trying to think. I'm thinking of like uh, Battlestar Galactica was um, ten thousand is the number that's sticking in my head. It got pretty low there. I, know, I remember. Yeah, I was thinking like uh, twenty three thousand or thirteen thousands ringing a bell. Twenty three seems a good random number. Let's do that one. <laughs> sure. And two. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got, let's give her a name. Well, cheating would just be to call her Phoebe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the other question, too. Because um, she could be a girl of the new generation, the generation that's been born in space on the station. Um. You know, she wasn't born on Earth. They've been at this for a little while. Um, and though she might have some kind of name like one of the planets. What was it? Ganymede? Is that sound? Ganymede? Gany? <laughs> yeah, Ganymede is one. Um, I think they just found more moons of, uh, around Jupiter. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking of like, uh, oh, there's Enceladus, but is that Ju- that's Jupiter, right? I think so. I'm sure that's one too. I believe um, I believe that one is Jupiter. Yes. Yeah, I'm just thinking of a, a girl's name that will be you know could have a nickname. That's why I was thinking Danny Mead, and they call her Danny for short. No, I just looked it up. Enceladus is a moon of Saturn. Damn, I knew it. I knew it right. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't, still, I didn't think is, it was. <laughs> I feel like with her being a girl of born in space, I think we need to stick with that. Um, they start to give them you know new names, not Earth names, something new and different. So, should we stick with Ganymede? Does that work, Ganny? I like that. I do like that. Uh, I have a, I have a feeling only her parents called her Ganny, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's move on. So, that's the explosion. We got that. Um, so, then she's coming back to school with her weird robotic... Self. I wonder if she has uh, I wouldn't think she has anything that makes her better in school necessarily um, but I wonder if the rest of the school and the class just assume that you know, that because she's this cyborg type thing she's probably smarter and better than them uh, I would uh, thinking back as a child I would assume that she has Better processing power, better retention, obviously, you know, things like that. Right. Uh, and I guess, the, and of course, the excuse for that would be that uh, 
well, we needed that because she's, you know, the daughter of this famous scientist and she has what knowledge she has and she's, you know, learning what she can from her mother's notes and stuff so she, that she can be as good as her mother was. So she needs to have the best. She's going to have a really tough life. <laughs> do we do we build any... Um... Any strangeness into it? In what way do you mean? Like, was her mother not just truly uh, a scientist trying to do what we were talking about, um, get resources from Europa and actually settle people there? But did her mother have secrets about Europa that now the girl is going to be able to, like you were talking about, looking through her mother's notes, to find, yeah, to find something that her mother, her mother was trying to cover up? about Europa. Well, maybe it could be something about, um, yes, or something to do with the overall story that involved this, um, maintenance class in some way that not just revealed that they were going to do this attack necessarily, but there was something bigger going on. I'm trying to think of what we would do at this point. Um, yeah, my brain's working on that too. The, the, I mean, the cheesy one to go with is it's a, you know, religious cult or fanatical group that wants to just end it all because this is not how it was supposed to be and they were supposed to stay on Earth, so now they just want to wipe everyone out. That's too easy. I mean, there might be a, a certain group within the population that feels like that too, but that could be a, a subplot. What if, what if the mother found evidence of uh, life Deep in the oceans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just starting jumping to that too. And the this other faction wanted to cover that up because they didn't want to have to deal with that. They just wanted to take control of, of the moon. Well, it would make that, and if that had to come out, it would then show that, um, that um, the scientists were even more important because they were finding this out and working possibly to find out about this alien life and stuff, making the maintenance people even less important. Whereas this way, if you have the scientists failing at their jobs, then all of a sudden the maintenance people are the ones that will come to power and become important. You'd almost think we were basing some of this off of real life events right now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's probably the, I'm thinking of this as an epic sci-fi book, of course, you know, a good 700 pages. Um, this doesn't seem small. Yeah, um, and so I feel like the second part of the book is the crappy stuff when we do actually see the uh, this maintenance class come to power and become the important, and then the scientists start to um, you know, lower in status and become less significant. Which is, and it's partly a, a coup type thing. I think we'd have to have some uh, convoluted political system for how it all works and stuff too. That's you know proclaimed to be democratic and fair, but of course never really is. Uh, so then the second chunk of the book, the middle chunk, I guess, will be uh, this maintenance class coming to power. It's the you know. Uh, was the name Umbridge coming to control and taking over the school and stuff like that, and the bad times are ahead. But meanwhile, you've got um, Ganymede, who's found these clues, and she's going to try and find out, you know, what this alien life is actually all about. 
it almost seems like she has to be on the run or hidden somehow once they come to power. And it's, and we see that through a series of, you know, with the stuff at school, that's kind of just the, um, beginning, you know, it's lighting the fuse sort of thing that, that it builds and builds. And then as, you know, as the maintenance people come to power and start persecuting the scientists, she's, she becomes one of the attack too, because she's one of the most important scientists to be. And that's when she has to run. Yeah. And flee. I think it's after she has to run when she would probably find out about her mother finding life on Europa. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like it would be, it would hit harder there that um, there's even, okay, she's on the run. She's, she's trying to save her life, but now she's found out that her mother was actually working to maybe it's intelligent life uh, on, on, under the ice um, to, hide that fact from the the working class because she knew how they would react and now it's become even a bigger thing it's not just her life it's this other life uh, that lives under the ice and maybe um, just as the explosion happened or right before it was when the mother made kind of first contact with the life and maybe Ganymede saw a little bit of this or something and then the explosion happened um, she couldn't quite remember and then when she starts to read the notes and find these details, it comes back to her that she did see something at the very end there, some sort of communication, you know, or link. I like that. Yeah. Um, I feel like she needs to have at least one other ally. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was thinking about that too, but she can't be all alone. Um, mm-hmm. Is there... Um... I, think, I think we need a third, you know cast system, cast of society there. Um, I wonder if it's like the uh, health and doctors or something like that who will always be important in their own way for helping save others. Um, Maybe. Again, they're working off of limited resources and stuff. Could uh, could be something like that one one and, that and helped them, rebuild her. Given that they're 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 necessary no matter what you know because they're saving lives. It could be one of the doctors that help rebuild her. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Possibly a uh, dashing young man or beautiful woman who she connected with, add a little uh, romantic interest into it. Yeah, I was I was trying to think of how to do that with someone from her high school, but the only thing <laughs> the only thing I kept going back to is like, no, I'm thinking to myself, no, anyone she knew from high school would be the son or daughter of one of the workers that mm-hmm. is working to take over things, and right. they would be, for lack of a better yeah, term, the, the Draco Malfoy um, yeah. of the story. Um, yeah. So I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to go there. Yeah, I guess right. it's kind of this case, it's kind of the, um, what is he, Peta from um, Hunger Games? The nice kid who knew her growing up, maybe, or something. Um, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. But yeah, maybe, I, it's I, not the, maybe not the doctor, but like the son or the daughter of the doctor. I like that. That um, way she's, creepy, that way she's got a little... Maybe it's the doctor, because the doctor could be 20 years older. <laughs> And I know it's the future and things might be desperate, but we're not going to go there. <laughs> True. Um, and even though she is a robot, 
Uh, Android, should we should we go with Android or Cyborg? Oh. Uh, well, how obvious Cyborg? I feel like it shouldn't be obvious. That's what pisses off the rest of the kids so much. She looks like a perfectly normal girl on the outside, except maybe, you know, her pupils were <laughs> when they dilate or something, you know. There's some telltale little thing you can see, but for the most part, she looks like a normal girl. Yeah, I was assuming that. So yeah, that that definitely works. And then the um, the um, I'm assuming daughter, because I always feel like we're I hear when people are world building stuff, it's always you know, um, seems like they go for the heterosexual relationships, and I don't want to change that up a bit. Um, so the daughter of the doctor who she's connecting with and allying with has some part in her that's also artificial that she dated at some point in her life that was probably a secret thing that her mother or father doctor did to her to keep her alive in some way, but it's kind of a secret. But that's why she feels a connection to Ganymede. That's interesting. I like that. That um, that gives them an, an immediate connection and a place to build from. So I, I do like that. And it's something that you know, they wouldn't just immediately say to each other. Um, it's something that, you know, they both know that Ganymede has it, but neither of them know that the other girl has it. Um, so it's a secret she has, and then the secret that Ganymede has is about her mother and what she found. Yeah, I think the book got bigger. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to write this thing. <laughs> you're, al- you're already writing a book. <laughs> Well, we've got it recorded at least, so this will roll. Always remember. Um, <laughs> all right, so that's the second part. Um, are they going to flee down to the surface of Europa? Probably. Uh, yeah, that, I think that's assumed that they would have to go back down to Europa. Um, do we bring the the life forms, whether they're intelligent or not, into the mix? I I feel like that's going to be the third act. Okay. While while all the shit's going on up high on the space stations, they're down back on the planet where there is, you know, a handful of scientists left maybe because they've been so persecuted and pushed down that, you know, there's, there's few left that actually want to do the job of science, possibly. Um, are we are we saying that the people on that are stationed on Europa are bringing up resources? Maybe they're they're as slaves more more or less to continue to bring up whatever nutrients or right. whatever they're getting from the water um and but they're not being given any they're just being made to work or they're being given very little but is that something that's just happened with the new regime going into power or has it always been that way no i would say that's the new regime right that they were doing it before but now it's a you know demand if you don't do it you're gone yeah it's not an option Right. Um, I feel what's pinging with me too is um, because both of these, we should give uh, the other girl a name. Some other planetary or celestial name. Andromeda. (laughs) (laughs) Well, her nickname nickname could be Andy. (laughs) So I, I do... Andy yeah, but then and... I just think of uh, uh, AI from Marshall. I can't yeah. get that in my head, so let's not do that. <laughs> uh, maybe another moon. Um, 
of Jupiter. Of Jupiter. Whoa, any planet. How about uh, what were you saying? Io. Could do Io. Oh, I like that. I like that name. Yeah. Um. Um, and I feel the other thing. So Io and Ganymede are on the planet. I feel there's something that's in me that I could definitely tell as a writing kernel of a story thing about the fact that. Well, you know, Ganymede is mostly artificial and Io is a little bit artificial, that that is somehow connecting or resonating with this um, alien force, this alien, these alien beings in the planet in some way. Maybe whatever resources they're getting off the planet, there's a particular special thing. I'm going to say unobtainium here, but it's not going to be that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is used to create these artificial um, organs and things. And so that creates a connection between them and these aliens. Maybe it's how the aliens used to communicate or um, in some way it's important to them. I do like the idea that some, some material that's being harvested from the planet is within both of them as part of their cybernetic parts. Right. Yeah, I don't want to go with unobtainium either, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I've just thrown that in there as the word. But to to be determined. <laughs> yeah, exactly. MacGuffin. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that would obviously be the high-demand item, too, that they, those in power above on the ships would want as well. To be sent up, you know, in vast amounts if possible. Sure, it could be both a a material that they can build things from, mm-hmm. and or a power source. And it's um, because if they just needed metal, there's tons of you know asteroids out asteroids, there. Asteroids, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I feel like this is then creating a connection with the alien life on the planet in the whatever they're taking here. Maybe those aliens need it. Maybe it's their food. You know, it's important to them in some way. I know it's been done before, but the material could be the alien. No, I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, it's their babies. <laughs> No, because then they would hate Ganymede and Io, you see. Because <laughs> it's inside yeah. them. It, maybe it's rare. Um, and the the whoever's bringing it, whoever's mining it, um, just found a particularly rich vein, but it is rare, and it's causing harm to the, to the aliens down there. Mm-hmm. So they do find a connection with Ganymede and Io because they're fighting against the people that are trying to deplete that resource. Right. So then there's the conflict of in this third part of the book while everything's going on above where they come down and, you know, make first contact again with this alien life and it's immediately... Well, you're just, you know, taking out stuff, you're trying to hurt us or whatever, What you know, and they want to, it's on the offensive. And then the two of them have to work to pacify them and work together and, and make the aliens see that they're different from those above and they want to help them. 
And that's when they uh, start to work together. Obviously, they have some way of communicating with each other. Maybe, well, that was the other thing I think that was pinging with me was that maybe they communicate through this metal, you know. Again, I think of the, you know, the, the, the metal plate in your head while you hear voices, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing, um, that they're able to, maybe it's some sort of telepathic thing or an emotional thing, like an empathic thing or something like that. Um, but it has to be something where they were able then to communicate and work with the aliens. And that's when they start to, uh, you know, mount their return coup to take over the, um, starships again the space stations do we do we build in a resolution so that the humans don't need the material i think so i think we need to i don't think this is going to be a series i think it needs to finish with this long book even if it's a thousand <laughs> pages <laughs> that'll be it <laughs> uh, so however that happens they 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 mount their offensive and take back the space stations. The maintenance workers are, they're not you know, wiped out or killed like they were doing a little bit with the scientists because they're still very much needed. Humanity is still you know, on the brink, so you don't just want to kill anyone needlessly, um, but obviously you're going to keep an eye on them. Um, I think it would just be the leaders that um, have to be stopped, whether you know whether it's mortally wounded or or just taken into oh, to custody. Here's the twist. They get artificial implants, something put in them that's of this particular material, so that the aliens then have some control over them to subdue them. Ganymede and Io? No, not Ganymede and Io. They 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 get they get put in these leaders in some way. So that the aliens, because they communicate through it, can then control or at least subdue or know if these leaders are planning to do something bad again in the future. If that's the case, could that same ability be – could it, could they teach that to Ganymede and Io? Possibly, yeah. In, instead of having the aliens be the ones that, that do it, make Ganymede and Io clean up our own mess. So okay, that'll, that'll work better, I think, yeah. They will somehow know. Yeah. But but what's to stop the other people from having the same power or same ability to to access the the material in Ganymede and Io? Well that's why I was trying to make it a little different in some way. It's some certain kind of implant. Or maybe the um maybe it's a different kind of metal or uh like a different isotope of it or something, or something changed that's used on the bad guys so that they won't do this again. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I a, follow that. The the cheesy equivalent of a um, what is it? A shock bracelet, shark ankle thing. <laughs> you know that you can't <laughs> run away because you'll get shocked and subdued. Um, so there's that, and then we need the resolution at the end that they no longer need. Um, Maybe the aliens can show them other materials, or know they they know of the surrounding moons um, and what they consist of because they've been around for a long time, and that they have other materials they can take from there where there is no other life. Um, That's what I was thinking that they they had some technology they could share with us, mm-hmm. or knowledge yeah. of some kind that they they shared that we didn't need to do that. 
And, and again, it goes back to, uh, as humans, could we choose? We don't have to do it, but could we choose not to do it? Mm-hmm. Even when, even when given a really good reason why we don't need to do something, sometimes we tend to do it anyway. <laughs> you think? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and they even have the option then that I could, if the aliens know enough about the other moons of whether they even need to settle on Europa or if there's a more viable option on another moon or another place at all. Um, but I feel like we're still going to keep some... I feel like it's going to end maybe if the space if the space stations do end up landing on a different moon and colonizing... Not colonizing. Settling on that um, where there's no other life, you know, and, and making it habitable and, and um, terraformed and all that with the help of the aliens. Um, but they're still keeping some stuff on Europa, partially for resources, but also to keep in communication with... Um, the aliens and it obviously ends with uh, Io and Ganymede just hanging out on Europa doing her mom's work still and working with the aliens I like that the um, the uh, the Ganymede and Io do not want to take any kind of leadership role mm-hmm. when they're done they just want to Even leave they're, they're technically the saviors of yeah. humankind once again yeah they want to just kind of be in the background, enjoy each other's company and relationship, and just have, you know, enjoy doing what they're doing and not being that important. So, so yes, this one seems definitely more, I would call it hard sci-fi, mm-hmm. whereas the first one was more comedic, right. um, buckaroo bonsai style. Part of that is because of how we approached it, where, you know, coming from the bottom up with this one, we wanted to really set a lot of the ground rules and world building to begin with before we started actually having stuff happen. And I think, I think we could have gone even deeper. Um, into the ice. So to speak. <laughs> <laughs> right to the core. Uh, which is why it's melted because there's water there. Uh, we didn't come up with a title. I mean, uh, the easy one would be Europa, but, uh, that's already been done by as well by a sci-fi author I know, so we can't do that. The moon, uh, the moons of Jupiter. Ooh, Io because Io, Io is a moon too. of Jupiter. That's brilliant! Oh my gosh! Now I really want to write this. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got it recorded. Maybe one day, huh? We'll co-write it together. Sounds good. The uh, the. The only thing is, I'll be thinking about it, and I'm like, I have no, idea, I have no recollection of what we even talked about. I know I just listened to us talk about it, but I have no recollection of that. Well, that's why we have a recording of it. You can just listen to it over and over until it sinks in. One of my um, old bosses came up to me at work the other day and asked me something about my old position when I worked for her, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, and she's like. <laughs> But the the paperwork I just gave you is yours, and I'm like, I can see that it's my handwriting, but I don't remember anything about this. Are you writing it? Yeah, it was oh. just, <laughs> you know, out of sight, out of mind. Um, we, I work. Maybe with, it's the we, way your brain works. So you only, you know, you you save the important stuff at the front as you need it, and then either stick it to the back or wipe it up. Yeah, it it had to dig into the archive to pull it out. After about an hour of her working with me. Um, 
I was able to figure it out and then show her the procedure of what I was doing back then. But mm-hmm. it was fun. <laughs> oh man, I'm just gonna be thinking about this book the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say we could do an audio drama out of it, but it would take too long. <laughs> I'd rather write the book. Yeah, this this would be a, a definitely a multi-season um, audio drama. Well, I feel like it wouldn't get into it the way I'd like to do it as a book, you know? Mm. Plus, it totally could be a young adult sci-fi epic. <laughs> I That's how I pictured it. Um, mm-hmm. Even though, you know, hard sci-fi definitely geared towards young adult, um, the the similarities to, like you even brought up, Hunger Games is is pretty pretty prevalent. the 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 young the young person who finds they are now suddenly more important than they thought they were, uh, right. and having to deal with the the ramifications of that. But I like that it's not cheesy like they have special powers or whatever it all has you know set is you know organized settled meanings it's not just something magical yeah i wouldn't want to go that way with it no but it sounds like an interesting story yeah it's definitely a book i would pick up and read <laughs> <laughs> you need to What's write the it cover gonna be um well if it's if it's the moons of jupiter uh, the obvious is Jupiter with the two moons transiting in front of it. Mm. So I was also thinking like a shot of um, on the plant on I on Europa where you have the the lab set up. You can see a person working, kind of almost in silhouette. Um, and then behind, you can see the landscape. You can see Jupiter in the background, and you can see one or multiple space stations orbiting around above. You know. I can't remember the artist's name, but I'm picturing these craft, these space stations, as less than elegant. Um, mm-hmm. but, Cobbled together sort of thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but there was there was an artist from the 80s that was known for doing that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, yeah, I think this worked better than the uh, top-down. I mean, maybe because we weren't actually writing it, as opposed to just trying to spitball it as we went along. Uh, but I think it's also just the type of writers we are. We like to do a lot of world-building stuff, so that's why we have a lot more fun and um, creativity in developing this one. I agree. And and no matter how I try to do it, I'm going to attack it both ways. Right. Um, Because even even when I tried to do top-down, I'm like, where's the details? Um, And then when we were working on the details, I was like, well, where do where thinking ahead? Where where is it going? And you know things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I as as I would be writing this, I would be pulling in the details needed as I needed them. Mm-hmm. But I like the idea, and recently I have thought about this of maybe I should outline um, season two um, mm-hmm. because just talking about this it was almost like we were presenting an outline as we were going through this. Of, and then when you actually do the writing, it, it's definitely can be less tough to do because you're able to, uh, because you've got your outline that you're working from. And I was listening to a particular, um, right now podcast episode. It was what an interview she was doing with this author who does, um, Tudor mysteries. Um, but she, and she doesn't call it outlining. She calls it storylining. 
And apparently she does like a book every year, but she spends, she said, three to four months of that year storylining before she actually starts writing the thing. So that she has this good, strong storyline already set up for what she's going to write. Which is a, not how I usually do it, but it's just an interesting, different way to hear about it. The the author that I just went to his book signing mm-hmm. um, was showing me a, a story he was working on, and he do, he does everything longhand. Um, oh, cool! So he showed me his notebook, and like, here's one page devoted to this one character, and it's got this character's motivation, so that when he's writing that character into a scene. He can just look back at that one page and say, okay, here's his motivation. Here's how he would react in the scene that I'm writing. And and I thought that was interesting, and I thought that would be really good um, for when I start dealing with uh, multiple recurring characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're dealing... I would say that's definitely a thing you want to do if you're doing, like, a novel. And then by that thing, same token, it'd be, you know, or a multi-season show where you're going to be bringing a lot of characters back and knowing how they work together and interact. I'm still not sure how season two is going to go. I, it dep- well, I would like to, to, uh, to, to storyline it then. <laughs> then I, <you> will. <laughs> I would like to bring in more characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd like to actually pay the person doing the voice too. So mm-hmm. right now with it just being me and, and a, a friend doing another voice, it's a lot easier to say, you know, Thank you for lending me your voice um, instead right. of, you know, someone you know than someone that does it professionally. Right. That, and I'm not sure how good of a, a writer I would be for multiple characters. Mm-hmm. So maybe I'll have to test that those waters out first. I mean, it's one of those things I think where you've just got to trust the, the, you know, the voice within you that's wanting to write it down. That's what you need to do. <laughs> Well, that's kind of how the AI got got its own voice is because I got to a scene and I'm like, I, I can't keep writing this from a single narrator perspective. The, the, the AI wants to talk. So I just let the AI talk and we had a conversation. There we um, yeah. And I really like the, the, uh, the person who's doing the voice of the AI. I, I mean, I explained mm-hmm. that it was an AI and she, she nailed it. She, she got the, the intonations down Great. just how I yeah, wanted it's them. When you hear that, isn't it? You're like, Oh, you you nailed it. Just right. Just, uh, it's just as I had it in my head. <laughs> but now I need to go start writing moons of Io. No, moons of Jupiter. I mean, yeah. <laughs>